0: Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care hi everybody welcome
1: to healthcare americana i am your host christopher habig ceo and co-founder of freedom health works today we are discussing pharmacy benefit managers we're going to go over exactly what those three words mean or in short we like to call them pbms just for brevity's sake but there's a lot of confusion out there and it is a very complex subject pbms can be your friend or they can drive up costs and create a significant uh, lack of transparency or opaqueness in the healthcare benefits world. So to help guide us through this discussion, to help educate exactly what PBMs are and what they do, we're talking to Greg Greenlee, the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of VerisRx. Greg, thanks for coming on Healthcare Americana and chatting
2: with us today. Christopher, thanks for having me on your show today.
1: The big burning question and uh, throughout your work as a pharmacist moving up through the ranks and now uh, helping to lead Veris RX in the PBM world is the biggest, brightest burning question is what in the world is a pharmaceutical pharmacy benefit manager? Excuse me. I'm just going to stick with PBMs for now. If yeah, there you okay, go. That's easier. What in the world is a PBM? What do they do? How do they get paid and where do they add value
2: uh, for delivering great
1: healthcare options to patients?
2: That's a great question and a good way to start. So basically, a PBM is nothing more than a middleman between pharmacy providers, employers, pharmacy manufacturers, and and the members. So what a PBM really does, they contract with pharmacy providers to provide services to their clients, their clients being self-insured employer groups, maybe fully insured employer groups, uh, and they would manage the pharmacy benefit part of the medical benefits that the employer would provide. Uh, we manage formularies. These are lists of drugs that uh, would be the best choice in a particular given uh, disease category for use. Uh, we divide those formularies up into preferred drugs, and non-preferred drugs, uh, and that has, is tied into the rebates from the manufacturers that are available. Uh, We manage uh, coordination of care through uh, utilization management, making sure that the drugs that are being prescribed are appropriate for that particular individual for the diagnosis and the indication, especially around the um, uh, specialty pharmaceuticals. It's very important that uh, those drugs are very high in cost. So we want to make sure that they're appropriately utilized. Uh, So we do all those types of utilization management programs Uh, We help drive towards the lowest net cost products by using generics uh, and preferred brands. And when uh, we have to use the non-preferred brand, then certainly we have that ability. So basically, we just are connectors between the pharmacy providers, the members, and the uh, plan sponsor.
1: Now, obviously, a lot of questions come out of that because that's a lot of complexity that you just mentioned there, and and you did it very quickly and very succinctly, which I congratulate you. But um, so you work within employer plans, correct? That's correct. Okay, so your customer is large companies, or is it mostly self-funded type of plans? Yeah,
2: self self self-funded employer groups. Uh, They range in size. Gosh, we even go down to uh, under a level funded program, down to five employees, all the way up to larger employer groups, 20,000, 30,000 lives. So uh, it's the, the whole gamut, really. So why is so if we put
1: in a plan for our employees or, you know, someone's listening and says, well, my employer has this plan. Why is a PBM necessary to building out? that type of a plan?
2: Sure. So the problem uh, that would arise if you tried to do this on your own, there are 65,000 plus pharmacies across the United States. So it would not be very efficient for an employer to try and have a contract with all 65,000 pharmacies. Now, obviously, if you're just a local employer, uh, you might have 10 or 15 pharmacies in your town uh, that makes it a little more manageable, but if you don't really know under, understand how pharmacy contracting works, then you're at risk of making a bad deal for yourself and for your employees. That's one of the functions that a PBM will do. We manage those contracts with the pharmacy providers. Um, we we more or less purchase from the pharmacies one rate, and then if you're in a, under a traditional model would sell to the client at a different rate. Uh, the difference there than the delta is the profit margin that the PBM would make. I am a true believer in what we call a pass-through model to where the contract rate that we have with the pharmacy is exactly what we give to the employer. There's no spread. Everything's on top of the table, very visible. Uh, the only way I make money then is a set fee that I negotiate with the employer group and it's on top of the table. Uh, They know exactly how much money I'm going to make on a per claim or per employee basis. It's very visible. And that's the difference between traditional PBMs and a PBM that is more transparent or pass through.
1: Obviously we are big fans of transparency uh, here in Freedom HealthWorks and uh, on Healthcare Americana. If everybody knows the price, drives competition, competition's healthy, and ultimately, it's okay to make money, right? It's okay to make a profit as long as all the cards are on the table and people are like, oh, okay, yeah, this is great. Or you're providing a superior superior service. So going back into uh, kind of flushing out exactly what the operational um, kind of machinations of PBMs are, and I just want to make sure I understand this correctly, again, you know, I just act like I'm a fifth grader or probably even worse on this subject and, and just kind of break it down for me. So if I'm a company and I call up Veris and say, hey, I want to use you guys as PBMs, you already have existing arrangements with national pharmacies, local pharmacies to provide a whole litany of pharmaceutical options just in case my employees need them. Am I reading you right there?
2: Absolutely correct. Uh, we will work with the employer to design the the benefit plan, uh, the copay structure, what drugs they want to cover, what drugs they want to exclude, uh, what types of utilization management do they want to put in place, whether it's step therapy, quantity limits, prior authorizations, any type of cost containment features that we offer through clinical programs. We will work with the employer to explain all those and what it means if you select that, what it means if you don't select those type of options. Uh, we lay all that and then we will build the plan according to each specific client's needs. Um, at that point then, when we go live with a the client, then a member would go to a pharmacy with a prescription. Uh, the pharmacy would submit that claim to our computer system, we would adjudicate the claim appropriately. And then it uh, kicks back the the claim to the pharmacy and the pharmacy collects $5 from Mrs. Jones for her prescription. We manage all that piece and then we will bill the client for the balance that they owe after the member's copay. And we do that twice a month and with the full details on what the claims were uh, and how much they owe.
1: What are you seeing as far as cost drivers when it comes to pharmaceuticals?
2: Without a doubt, the the cost drivers today are specialty pharmaceuticals. These are incredible uh, medicines that um, 10 or 15 years ago really didn't exist to the extent that they are now. Uh, They help mitigate or cure diseases, but they're very expensive. On average, they're around $1,800 a month for about a 30-day supply they sometimes require special handling and knowledge uh, to um, prescribe those things, to treat uh, certain disease categories, specific diseases. Uh, So those are the cost drivers today. They represent probably 1% of your total claims volume, but uh, we estimate that by 2024, it'll be 50% of your total drug cost. So um, definitely something that you need to manage. Uh, If you haven't had a specialty claim come to your your employer group you you've been very lucky most plans will experience at least one of those per per year uh, if you're a smaller group uh, you know uh, that one uh, $50,000 specialty drug might break you mm-hmm. um, you know if you're a larger employer group you might be able to handle that without any problem uh, there's a couple of drugs out there that a million dollars a year how, how does a small plan pay for something like that so wow. it's uh, very important to have mechanisms in place to help control costs to make sure that it's appropriately being prescribed and used. Uh, So, we we put all those type of programs together to help manage the benefit for those employer groups.
1: Now, you got me thinking
2: because you mentioned the high
1: cost there. Is there any validity in a lot of these arguments you hear about the cost of those specialty drugs being almost exponentially higher in the United States as compared to the same stuff overseas
2: or across the borders? Yeah, that's a true statement. Um, you know, we, one of the solutions that we have for those high-cost specialty drugs is international importation for members. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing the difference in cost between what you can purchase those products internationally versus here in the U.S., sometimes as much as 40% difference. It's the old, uh, you know, capitalism is, is king. Uh, you get what you can, and those that can pay will pay. And that's kind of where we're at. Research and development is very expensive. Without those manufacturers um, doing the, the work to come up with these new drugs that will help cure diseases, then we would be in a really bad situation, but there's a cost to that. And it looks like uh, the people in the United States help bear the bulk of that cost.
1: Sure, sure. And that's what always kind of boggles my mind when I hear that thinking, well, it it is very, very expensive to go through the drug development pipeline and get the FDA clearance and approval and multi-years, multi-billion dollars. But then selling to international markets versus domestic markets, that much of a uh, gap, you just don't see it very often. You know, in economics, you talk about the Big Mac index and measuring the price of Big Macs across the world to, to measure currency and, and different types of inflation, deflation, deflation, that kind of thing. But then sure. you look at pharmaceutical drugs, you're like, well, this is the same same darn stuff, yet you said a 40% discount. I, I mean, are we getting fleeced in the US uh, for on a consumer level from pharmaceutical companies in this type of arrangement?
2: Certainly that's one way of looking at it. Uh, the other thing is that you know, a lot of the uh, foreign governments have price controls on their products and uh, so they, they manage the cost that way. Uh, here in the U.S., 50% of the, uh, the drug spend is in government programs, Medicare Medicaid. And those have very deep discounts. Well, somebody has to pay for that, right? And that's the rest of the population. The other 50% that's in self-funded or fully insured businesses that um, have to pay for those, uh, those other costs. So that's, that's one of the things that we're, we're faced with.
1: Going back to you know what makes your group VerisRx, RX different, you mentioned you know transparency. Tell us a little bit more about that and how that compares to you know a typical PBM. That I mean goodness, we saw a flurry of activity in, in the uh, mergers and acquisition realm from PBMs the past few years. High dollar uh, values being attached to these things and being purchased by different types of uh, health insurance plans or different, you know, national pharmacies. Where, what makes you different than the kind of black hole and kind of abyss of complexity and confusion that you see from some of those major national chains?
2: Sure. So, I guess the biggest thing that I can say that makes us different is that we believe in full transparency. So, let let me put it to you in this in these terms. So. If you go to a big box store and buy a tube of toothpaste, um, you know what the price is, you know what you have to pay. You don't know necessarily what that big box retailer paid for it, mm-hmm. but you can compare that price at one big box retailer versus another big box retailer and make your, your decision on where you should buy based on that price, that's very visible. In, in the PBM world, you don't have those choices. Uh, You go from one pharmacy to a different pharmacy, but the amount that you pay would be the same, $5 or $10, whatever your copay is. The difference then would be what your employer pays. So again, you don't have much choice where your members go, although you can help steer people towards the lower cost provider Mm -hmm. that you should be able to get some of that information from your PBM if they're doing a good job. Uh, You can develop limited networks, that steers towards lower-cost providers. Um, you can put different copays for the higher-cost providers. Uh, those are some of the, the tools that you can use. When you're in a pass-through model, then whatever I have contracted with that pharmacy provider, let's say that it's, a, it's the average wholesale price minus 18%, uh, that's what I would sell to the client. So the client can buy at the same price that I have contracted with that pharmacy provider. In the old traditional models, it's a little different situation. I contract with a pharmacy provider at say AWP minus 18%, but I sell to the client at AWP minus 15%. I've created a 3% spread. That 3% on a $300 drug is not a bad income on a per plane basis. The problem is the client has no idea how much money I just made on that prescription on generic drugs. It's even deeper than that. It's not uncommon uh, for a traditional pharmacy benefit manager to make upwards of 12 to 15 to $18 per claim. If you own your own mail order facility and your own specialty pharmacy, those numbers go up even higher than that. So when I come to you as a pass through PBM and I say, hey, I want $5 per claim to handle all these transactions and do the management, um, that's a pretty good bargain if you compare a $5 per claim to something that you have no idea when in reality it's, you know, above 10 bucks, maybe above 15 bucks, But you don't know that because you don't have visibility into those type of situations. So being fully transparent and pass-through clients know exactly how much you're making on a per-claim basis. Um, they, it's predictable. Uh, there's nothing that's left uh, underneath the table. Uh, so it's very open and very honest way of doing business. You've mentioned
1: before that there are a lot of pharmacies who fill prescriptions at a loss coming off of these PBM plans. And something like that, again, know I used this before, but I kind of sit there and scratch my head and say, what? Why would why would they do that? Why would the retail pharmacies fill these scripts at a loss on behalf of the plans that they're contracted with?
2: It's not by choice, uh, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes these pharmacies uh, enter in contracts that are very, uh, very difficult to understand and you don't really understand what uh, some of the terms mean. Uh, in a lot of instances, there are People that do the third party contracting for the pharmacies and the pharmacies never really see the contracts to begin with. And so they get uh, kind of uh, put in a situation where they have to participate at those rates and reimbursement uh, targets uh, in order to get business into their stores. Now, if you're a, um, a chain pharmacy or a big box retailer where you have other things to sell, then you can make up for some of those losses that way. If you're a small independent that relies strictly on dispensing uh, purposes only, then you're you're really in trouble. If you've got a very aggressive uh, reimbursement schedule where you know you're losing ten to fifteen to thirty dollars per script, while the PBM is making forty to eighty dollars per prescription, It just seems wow. like the, there's a, a big uh, imbalance there. It's that big of a spread, huh? It can be. Yeah, we've seen that. Uh, we've seen some that are even more than that. I, I saw one claim that uh, $225 spread that the PBM made and the pharmacy was losing $15 a spread.
1: That's an unbelievable amount of margin. I mean, why, is, do, yeah. why do employers' plans, hell, even regulators, I mean, how's that night price gouging? Why, why does anybody stand for that?
2: Trying to figure it out, that's the problem. Uh, it's not very <laughs> visible. You have to really get into the weeds. Uh, most, most employers, they sign a contract with the PBMs and they really don't understand it. Uh, the PBMs are very good at uh, disguising what they do. And unless you check under the hood on a routine basis, they get away with that. Now, there's been some legislation that's been occurring in some of the states that will help uh, uh, curtail some of those practices. Um, but the, the PBMs have a very strong lobby um, and they're, they're very effective at, uh, getting those types of things thrown out or, uh, watered down to the point where they're basically, uh, don't do a lot of good.
1: Yeah. Cause it, I mean, that's so interesting because now you got my wheels turning, obviously, like we know what you would. And, you know, you made mention of a, of a, uh, Supreme court, uh, ruling, um, you know, Rutledge versus pharmaceutical care management association, uh, what exactly did that do on the for those community pharmacies like you were talking about?
2: It has to do with the abusive uh, payment uh, processes where they were forcing pharmacies to accept reimbursement below their cost. Um, and the states wanted to regulate those type of uh, situations. Um, and PCMA fought that very strongly. Uh, it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court sided with uh, the state that uh, the states have the authority to regulate PBM uh, actions. And uh, so that was uh, really a uh, landmark decision uh, for the state of Arkansas. And mm-hmm. a lot of other states are adopting those same types of, of uh, laws. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the final outcome will be um, and how the PBM lobby will try to water down that regulation. Uh, obviously, they claimed ERISA would supersede state law, uh, but the Supreme Court felt differently than that.
1: Yeah, then bringing up ERISA, which, you know, fiduciary duties, that doesn't seem to make sense on that one, but I am not a legal scholar by any means. Um, Greg, we're gonna take a quick minute. We're gonna pause and hear back from some of our wonderful sponsors. And then after the break, wanna dive into rebates and why you know the pharmaceutical companies allow this type of stuff to happen because they're being made to kind of be the boogeyman for astronomically priced pharmaceuticals. So stay tuned. Well, here's a message from our sponsors.
2: Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit FMMA.org. The
0: new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Health care is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISO Health Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com a free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig. We're talking with Greg Greenlee um, about pharmaceutical benefit managers. And if there's any takeaway from the beginning half of the episode there before our break, it's a PBMs. uh, There's a lot of room to shine the light, I guess I would say. And uh, with Veris Rx, Greg, your company, sounds like you guys are doing that, putting a lot of transparency out there. Wanted to get your take on, you know, I know this is going to be a favorite subject to yours, but PBM and pharmaceutical rebates. What in the world does that mean?
2: <laughs> well, they're um, basically payment. You, In order to get a rebate, you have to spend money. Um, so that's the problem with the rebates. And, and quite honestly, I wish rebates would go completely away we would see uh, the cost of those drugs come down considerably, but rebates are payments back to the PBM and hopefully back to the plan sponsor for using products that are on the formulary that actually pay a rebate. Um, there, some people call them purchase discounts, uh, but basically they're, they're enticements to put their drug on a formulary in a preferred status. Um, So they're they're monies that are used to offset some of the cost. The problem with a lot of the traditional PBMs is that they don't share those rebates back with the client, the one that uh, their members are using those products for, or they are only sharing a portion of those rebates back. Therefore, we're we're seeing increased cost. Um, With the rebates, obviously, the manufacturers don't give money away for free. Basically, they're raising their cost of those products in order to cover the rebate payment. See the same thing in some of the uh, manufacturer cupay, uh, coupon copay cards that are out there. Uh, they're raising their, their ingredient cost price to cover those, those payments to help offset the, the members' copay cards. So it's just a, uh, a mean to get their product uh, utilized uh, more more appropriately, uh, get more market share, if you will. Uh, it's just payments that uh, will help drive that piece of business.
1: Uh, so, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm sitting here kind of shaking my head, trying to wrap everything around this. And just the like you said, the different layers are, uh, of this onion that we're trying to peel here. So for instance, if there's a hundred dollar, just to use round numbers, my employee goes to the pharmacy pays, buys a hundred dollar prescription that has rebates. What are typical rebates in a scenario like that? And then who gets a cut of it? Just boil it down for us. Very basic.
2: Sure. Well, when we really get into, and this is going to get into the weeds just a little bit, Sure. but rebates are only paid for brand drugs and not every brand drug has a rebate attached to it. In fact, only about six to ten percent of brand drugs actually have a rebate that is payable. Um, so, when you look at that, not every drug will pay a rebate, but those that do pay rebates, they're pretty significant. It could be anywhere twenty-five to thirty percent of the wholesale acquisition cost. Um, so that's that's a pretty big number. So let's say that on that hundred-dollar drug, you get a, uh, a twenty-dollar rebate. What happens is the PBM may or may not share that $20 back to the client. They might keep 80% of it. They might keep 50% of it. They might keep 100% of it. That's in a traditional model. In a fully pass-through model, like what Verus uses, we give 100% of that rebate back to the client. So that $20 rebate would go back to the client, making their net cost then $80 and not the $100. Uh, counting the member's
1: co-pay amount. That is a significant amount of money. Holy cow. So, (laughs) Greg, I I, I tend to kind of laugh and I'm kind of tongue-tied here and speechless of, of learning something new here and saying, why in the world does this make sense? How does this make sense to somebody?
2: great question. Um, you know, again, going back to the big PBMs, they had shareholders and they had to return a profit in order to stay in business. And the only way they can do that is by increasing their revenues. They either do it through spread pricing or retention of rebates, uh, other programs that they would uh, put in place. So yeah, it's, it's um, a lot of money involved in the PBM world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and kudos to you guys for, actually following through and sending that rebate back to your clients there. What would happen if rebates were no longer a thing?
2: I have to believe that the drug costs would go down significantly because you're not paying, you don't have to cover the rebate that you're going to pay out. Uh, You're not paying for the manufacturer coupon uh, copay cards uh, you're not paying for the monies that those manufacturers give towards charitable organizations to help cover a cost for people that can't afford the medicines. Um, that's an important piece, uh, certainly with the cost of these drugs. Um, a lot of people cannot afford those, those monthly payments. Uh, so having something that would help those members get those drugs is important. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if, if manufacturers are raising their cost in order to cover that, then maybe there's a better solution out there.
1: Yeah, it would seem like it. Um, basic economic theory, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have designed it this way, and there's a lot of people who being very, who become very very comfortable working within this, and it just feels like the wool has been pulled over our eyes in the pharmaceutical world for so long. Not to mention, in the benefits world, there's so much money being pass through exchanging hands and it's really hard to keep track of every single dollar and cent that goes through it.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm picking on PBMs here about being greedy, but there's other people out there that have their hands out as well. And I might get in trouble saying this, but uh, there are brokers and consultants out there that are also getting a piece of that pie, either through um, payments from the PBMs, a portion of the rebate share a per claim fee, you know, everybody's wanting PBMs to be transparent. Well, other people need to be transparent as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So be careful about who you're pointing fingers at because uh, uh, those could be turned back on you as well.
1: Yeah, I'm one of those people that's like, you know, if you can't put your prices on your website, then uh, there's probably somebody who's going to do it. And that might be a better way of doing something. Uh, sure. Just just show well, like you know, it everywhere and then let let. The American
2: consumer, uh, we keep saying this, you know, they're very good at shopping and spending money. Uh, People need to be paid for the value they bring, obviously. But uh, if you're just uh, getting paid for referring a piece of business, I don't know that that's a lot of value.
1: Yeah, I I tend to agree there. Certainly not 20, 30% of any type of uh, transaction. Gosh. I, I don't know, Greg, maybe I'm in the wrong business, but, uh, <laughs> that's certainly not something that, uh, those kind of margins are not something we're familiar with. And, um, you know, again, we're, we're sticklers on being transparent and showing everybody exactly what's going on and what the price is going to be and what to expect. And, uh, I, I tend to believe that you'll get rewarded for that type of, um, that, that way of just doing business. So, you know, I, I, as we come to the close of our, of our time together here, I want you to kind of look into your crystal ball and, and kind of put on your, your chief of us healthcare hat and say, you know, Greg, what does this look like? How do we, how do we rearrange what we have right now? And, and I'm not going to go out and say it's a broken healthcare system because, you know, we have some of the best, doctors and nurses and care facilities and technology and and pharmaceutical um, research that ever existed in the world or in history, but there's a massive disconnect and kind of this big empty, you know, again, to use the word abyss in the middle of it, that connects all these things. How do we get to a point and what should we do so that things in the healthcare industry are running um, more efficient and more transparent for everybody involved?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think first of all, it's important to recognize that the, that healthcare in the United States is, has tremendous opportunity for improvement, both from a clinical and an economic standpoint. Um, we're a very culturally diverse nation. Uh, we're geographically expansive and um, we have a lot of different options in healthcare. Um, well, you know, if, if you look at us compared to other countries, you'll see that those other countries may have a lower per capita uh, cost, but they all benefit from the innovations that are developed here in the United States. So, you know, we have to keep that in mind. Um, you know, and you can certainly point to obvious problems such as bureaucracy, uh, price gouging, um, perverse incentives. Um, those all come in to play. But, you know, I think the biggest problem is that too much money is being extracted from the, from the system either by individuals or, or entities, without producing much value. Um, so I think that's, that's part of the situation. I, you know, I think, you know, again, we have some of the, the best healthcare in the world, and I believe the, that problems arise really not in the quality of care, but the cost of care. Uh, and we're gonna continue to see these issues that are out there until we change our minds or change our mindset, Uh, and how we are practicing healthcare in the United States. Uh, So those are the things I see that, uh, you know, we could probably do better.
1: And uh, just to interject there, I I know you made mention before of educating the consumer too.
2: So whether that is somebody in
1: a plan as an employee uh, with an employer-sponsored plan, but uh, I know that um, your team there at Veris are, are very big on educating the consumer and giving them options and then helping them choose the best option financially and you know for their own health too. right
2: absolutely absolutely.
1: Well Greg that's gonna to draw to an end our time here together on this episode so once again it's Greg Greenlee executive vice president chief operating officer with Varus RX. Greg, uh, one last question for you. If anybody wants to kind of check out your company and say, you know, I'm tired of dealing with PBMs or I don't even know what mine is, uh, what's a good way to start researching what you guys are doing?
2: I would uh, suggest that you visit our website at verus-rx.com or drop me an email. Uh, you can reach me at g greenly. that's g-g-r-e-e-n-l-e-e at verus V-E-R-U-S dash R-X dot com. Be happy to uh, have a conversation with you, talk to you uh, about what we do, some things that are going on in in the industry. My goal is to help educate uh, and we'll provide you honest answers to your questions.
1: There you go. Once again, Greg Greenlee, bringing transparency to pharmacy benefit management world, uh, something that is very sorely and very, very badly needed to help make uh, the right type of care affordable for everybody out there and All-Americans. So, Greg, once again, thanks for joining us here. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Big shout out, big thank you to Melissa Turpin for managing the podcast and Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro for all their production work. Thanks for listening.
3: At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and X-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one third of the price or less. Check us out at greenimaging.net.
0: Interested in saving money on medical expenses? Coral is a healthcare marketplace and referral platform that helps direct primary care physicians, specialists, and medical plans find each other and work together at an affordable and transparent price. Save time and save money by utilizing the transparent direct contract model from Coral. To learn more, please visit Coral.io. Hi again, everyone. This
1: is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry, and we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.